The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. It's been a while since we've done this, Holly. Mm-hmm. It has. Do you even know what I'm mentioning? Holly and Friends. Holly and Friends. Yes. It's, every once in a while, it just becomes this thing where Holly's like, oh, by the way, I know somebody and they'd be great to talk to. And it just so happens. She goes, I know uh, Mr. Windsor. And so I think that we should talk to him. Mm-hmm. Mr. Windsor sounds very formal, but yes. yeah, usually I go with the Grand High Exalted Poopa, but uh, <laughs> Mr. Windsor is... is it's enough, you know, so. Well, I always have a hard time calling my friends' parents by their first name because I just feel like there's this yeah. element of respect, like it's a Mr. Windsor. That's a good thing, but Mike will do. I'm okay. I'm all about being down to earth and mingling with the the peons and philistines. So. <laughs> The commoners. Thank, thank yes. you for blessing us today. We appreciate you. So, um, I, I think before we get into who who uh, you are, Mike. Holly, how do you know Mike? Yes, it's a great story because I had turned, I think it was 21, and all my friends were getting married. And I was like, I don't have any single friends. I need friends. Dear God, please send me a friend. And I really could use somebody who could relate to me. And I I just need a good girlfriend. And so I'm sitting there at church. I'm in a pew. And a girl comes and sits next to me. And we were doing a play together with our youth, our young adult, actually. And it was Carly. And that was, I don't want to date myself, but, you know. 20 years. Yeah, just a couple years ago. Ish. 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 And then I, her and I became good friends. And so when I was visiting her in Newfoundland just a couple weeks ago, um, I got to chat with her dad, Mike. But obviously I met Mike before that. It was just through... Through Carly, and I was, it was yeah Sherwood Park and yeah places. yeah just outside of Edmonton, and so I got to like inherit extra parents, which was wonderful. <laughs> Mike, we like to ask this guilt testing question because we never know where it's going to go, and that is, who are you, and where did you come from? Born in a wagon of a traveling show, my mama would dance for the money they throw. <laughs> Grandpa would <laughs> preach a little gospel. <laughs> I was born in Newfoundland in a place called Wesleyville and Bonavista Bay North. And it's 60, well, 60 odd years ago. Uh, the odd being the operative word when it comes to me. And uh, I didn't spend a whole lot of time there. I just hmm. spent three and a half years where before my father did uh, make a decision to move elsewhere. In uh, 1959, my father's biological mother and half-sister were in in the Mojave in Lancaster, just north of L.A., and Dad, they promised him a whole future out there. Mm. And they were very optimistic, and we were very optimistic for my father. Uh, My dad was in a wheelchair, basically paralyzed from the neck down from polio. In 1949, and we drove to Gander and got on the plane and flew to New York and then flew to um, L.A., where my grandmother and her third husband uh, picked us up. And we went to live in the little back street in in, uh, Lancaster. And then Dad saw an ad for a 
job, no pay. It was basically everything was paid for, but there was mm. no cash involved. Okay. And he, he had, he was, could do the, he had a university trained degree and he could uh, do bookkeeping. He had done it before because we had some businesses and that. And uh, it was for a lady by the name of Poncho Burns. Okay. Poncho Burns was a stunt pilot uh, in early Hollywood. She flew in some of Howard Hughes's uh, films. Mm. She raced against Amelia Earhart. Oh, wow. And won and lost. And about this time, people look at me when I'm doing this type of presentation and say, you are the biggest liar I have ever <laughs> And uh, he got the job. And she, there's three books about her, uh, mm. two movies, one, uh, you know, a Hollywood type of a deal. The other one's documentary. And the, uh, as Valerie Bartonelli, I think, is that the, I think that was the star that pe- played Poncho. Oh, okay. In the, in the Hollywood movie. And I haven't yet to see it. I only saw glimpses and I couldn't find the full thing, but. She's portrayed in, uh, there's, um, what's the movie where they train the astronauts? And anyway, she's in one of those movies. The actor is in it. Uh, so oh, okay. Playing, uh, okay. Right? okay. Uh, but, wow. So what was it like growing up in LA then? Well, I wasn't there long. It was, you know, it was, I have some vague memories of it, uh, but, my most of my memories came from my mom and dad and my sister. If, if you're you're in California, when did you then go back to uh, Newfoundland? Very interesting thing, and it I do have a book almost finished. Uh, I've been saying that for three years. Uh, I do have a a five minute documentary that's up about uh, my father. And mm-hmm. it's been seen by uh, somebody here. Uh, they're from Ontario, actually, and they do production. So they wanted to chat with me when they get back from Europe about maybe looking at doing a movie or doing nice. a screenplay, a biopic, something like that. So that's uh, a long shot, but it's certainly a good message. Yeah. And I think that's what the why me part is all about. Hmm. Because I go back before my dad and my grandfather, biological grandfather, uh, was a sailor in the fir- first world war. And Johnny, he was on Q ships or mystery ships. They were called Q from Queensland, which is a town that's been renamed in Ireland now. But anyway, they would set themselves up as bait for the enemy submarines. Oh, wow. And then they were tramp steamers. They looked like junk, but behind the tarps and everything, and they had guns. Hmm. So the sub would surface or maybe fire the torpedo on just below. And this is easy pickings. We're going to sink this ship. Yeah. And, and when they would surface, bam, 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 the, the tarps would go down. And uh, one of the ships he served on, although he wasn't on it, was the one the first ship that used a depth charge to sink a submarine, and hmm. my grandfather joined the ship a few months after. 
But he was sunk twice, torpedoed and sunk twice. And they, uh, Chess Miles was his name, and they gave him a uh, break. <clears throat> they sent him back to that foreign country called Canada, because at time Newfoundland was a country. And he went to Halifax, and it was great. He was on the Niobe, and he got there, and eight days later, two ships decided to run into each other and almost wipe out Halifax, hmm. the Halifax explosion. He was blown off the ship. He still survived. Hmm. He had iron in his head and shrapnel and that thing. He brought him back to Newfoundland. He survived. He met my grandmother. They got married. They fell in love, got married. And he went, uh, two of them had friends and family in Brooklyn. And he went to Brooklyn to work in the shipyard because he was a, an engineer, uh, you know, a ship's engineer. Yeah. And at that time, not a hundred percent sure, but the shrapnel probably moved and he had a brain bleed and he, they got him to the hospital, but he died. And my father uh, wasn't born. He wasn't born till four months later. But that's a very key part in the why me part. Because, like, why did that happen with my grandfather? And when I talk about him, I, I've never met him. I got pictures of him. But I just, it just moves me because I love the man and I love what he did. And, uh, you know, and my father was born there and my grandmother found it hard to take care of a single mom. So she brought him back to her family, her aunt and uncle in Newfoundland to raise. Mm -hmm. All very important things to know about the why me, because you got this the line going through of that chance of why did this happen? Mm. So she brought him back to Newfoundland. Uh, the aunt and uncle that raised him, he died at six. He, he died when dad was six. So dad had, no father was sort of uh orphaned twice yeah. and was raised by a very stern great aunt but dad was very smart he he finished the, the schooling he had when he was 15 they wouldn't let him in the university he was too young he went back the next year and when he went back he got a, at 16 years old if you had a picture of yourself on american soil you retained your citizenship. Hmm. So at 16 in one of the Navy uh, bases here, dad got his picture taken and maintained his American citizenship. All very important to the why me story. So he went out teaching. Uh, he uh, got married. Uh, my mom and dad had my sister, uh, Rosalie, and uh, they, uh, they were just heading out into life. You know, my sister was two and a half and dad, it was a teaching job. He was going to become a principal, but because his foster mother aunt wanted him to move back home, he went back home and took a job in 1949 registering the new senior citizens, the Newfoundlanders that were senior to the new Canadian pension hmm. because you know, and they would say, what? I'm going to get all that money, my son. You're crazy and all that type of stuff, you know. <laughs> and dad would go from house to house and show them the paperwork and convince them and sign them up. And uh, he was in a place called Glovertown, which is uh, about three hours outside of St. John's. 
and an hour or so from Westerville. Mm. And he caught the flu, or he thought it was. And he, maybe it was a fever or something, but he wasn't feeling well. And the next day, a splitting headache, a pain in his neck, starting to use the strength, lose the strength in his legs. They got him up to the train station, which took him to the the, the ship's the boat that would do the coastal thing. They brought him back to Westerville. By the time they got to Westerville, he could not stand. Wow, the short uh, time. Two men had to help him up the path. My mom saw him coming up through the kitchen window and said, oh, my goodness, she said, they got Bobby drunk. And my <laughs> father hardly ever drank, right, you know. Probably about the beer a month, right? Number one was because of the money and that part. <laughs> but they got him in there and the doctor came down. You remember this, this, I think it's, it's fictional. I'm not sure, but when doctors used to visit people's houses, yeah, I think they pulled that up to make us feel better. But yeah, yeah they went, to, they went and visited dad and, and checked it out and had to do some studying and said, Marion, the mom's name, Bobby has polio. Ugh. His whole body was shutting down. All the muscles weren't working. His diaphragm, uh, his nails were turning blue because he wasn't getting the right oxygen. And they, and she said, well, what are we going to do? Well, the only way to get him is get him in an iron lung and save his life. Yeah. And that way he would have to take a boat and a slow train. And all of this, it would be days actually before he got to St. John's, the hospital. He'd never make it. Never made. He wouldn't have made it, Johnny. And one of the men in the hospital said, Bobby is an American citizen. So they telegraphed Argentia, which is a naval base during the Cold War, uh, just outside of St. John's. And they had this magnificent boat plane called the PBY. And they would be able to land in the water. They would look for submarines. They would do a whole gamut of stuff. But rescue was one of them. So they flew out and they they told them, we have an American citizen here dying. And if he doesn't get to St. John's, you know, he's going to pass. He's going to pass on. Yeah. So they flew out, uh, with two pilots, a nurse and a doctor. They got my father and mother and uh, dead remembers like telling when they took him down the steps to take him to the boat uh they had to put a cloth over his mouth because any wind was taking the air right out of his lungs mm-hmm. it was just causing that vacuum and and it was coming out and he was fighting for every breath and uh, you know and he they they rode out or they got a i think they would call it a, a punt you know with a pontoons or whatever like that right and they get him in the side of the ship they passed him in the the the, uh, side of the uh pby and the doctor and the co-pilot took him and they had a a bunk there for him and they got him hooked up and i guess maybe oxygen i'm not sure but uh, uh the sea was kind of rough because it was kind of rough getting out there and they had a a rocket booster uh in those planes that when they were trying to rise above the lop in the ocean and couldn't get enough speed, they'd kick in this rocket uh, 
And of course, when it kicked in, there was a couple of, uh, one old woman especially, oh my goodness, you know, Bobby is, this is killing Bobby and now the plane is on fire and is exploding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, these are stories that were told me, right, by my father. Yeah. And my so they got him to St. John's, got him in the iron lung, and he spent almost four years in the iron lung. Why wow. me? Yeah. At the prime of his life, 26 years old, starting on a career, has a young child, loved her, his daughter, uh, loved his family. He was well respected in the community, a Renaissance man, you know, and anyone had a letter to be written, you go see Bobby and that type of stuff. And this was all yanked out from underneath him. Yeah. Hmm. In like a, a moment. But yet you're here today. So he didn't pass away. No, he, he, he lived, uh, uh, for 33 years. He passed wow. away. Uh, he always used to say anything above 25 years of bonus years. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, <laughs> he would always say, uh, I'm in a prison and when I die, I don't want any sadness or sorrow. I want yeah. a celebration because mm. I've been set free from the prison of a paralyzed body. Yeah, always positive. Oh, and this is very contagious. I I can probably I don't know if I can count how many people I would say about my father. How many times would people go into his presence and go away better? Yeah, you know, he became a rehab counselor. What better than someone paralyzed to tell somebody else? Oh, I understand what you're going through. Well, mm-hmm. he did. For me to counsel people like that, to say I understand what you're going through would be hypocritical. I don't. So your your dad had polio. Your dad's paralyzed. Yeah. You're born, so you're obviously a miracle baby in itself. Um, growing <laughs> up, did you feel, was there any, that you had to be the man of any kind because your dad was bound to a wheelchair? Or did, like dad was always dad and you got to live a life just being a boy? Actually, I hadn't thought about. Hmm. That's a very good question. What would strike me was this. Number one, I was, you know, a lot of people call it a miracle child. And I'll let people look into the biology of the difference between a spinal injury and polio and sure. reproduction. I'll let yeah. them do the bio on that. The okay. Do the homework. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I was, I was fortunate, but, uh, you know, and, uh, I'm here today because of the love mom and dad for each other. I could get into unbelievable stories about how mom took care of my father and how my father took care of the family. Yeah. You know, one was the the brain and the other one was the brawn. But Mm -hmm. going back to your question, what I always felt is I didn't have a dad that could do the physical stuff. Hmm. You know, it's uh, like uh, teaching me how to be a carpenter or sail a boat. All these things he loved to do. Uh, I didn't have anyone teaching me how to hunt. But I did have someone that was there 24-7 for me. And I can remember sitting, and he had a board on his wheelchair. wheelchair, And I would sit there, and uh, he would tell me how to tell time. He would give me history lessons. He would recite poetry. He would tell me about the last of the Mohegans and James Fenimore Cooper 
and all of these stories and about two years before the mass and Horatio Hornblower, all of these things were embedded in me because he had time to share with me his classical education from 20, 30 years before. Mm-hmm. They had to learn that much poetry by heart. And I know a fraction of what he taught me, but it was just having that time. I, I dwell on that. Uh, did I ever feel like I had to be the man of the family? When I got big enough, I had to do the physical part hmm. to help get dad out of the wheelchair and into the bed or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, mom would dress him and stuff like that, but would call me and say, Mike, come on in now. Your father is ready to get up. And I, I stand down by his feet and pull him down and he would slide in the wheelchair and we would lift him up and hook the back together so yeah that part of it was there but i always remember and remember you know like specifically climbing up on the board and him teaching me how to tell time Mm -hmm. and and at 16 years old i should have known how to tell time but (laughs) did you break the board i didn't break the board (laughs) i got no respect around here i get no respect (laughs) But uh, it was just a totally different upbringing. We, we, uh, uh, there's so much I could tell, and I'm leaving a ton of it out. But he did get a job at the Newfoundland government with the Department of Health and Rehab. He met a lot of people. I got, I grew up around people with disabilities. I grew up around people that could have whined and complained and given up, and a couple of them did, but most of them didn't. Most of them persevered. Most of them put it through. Uh, you know, you just did what you, what, what you had. Hmm. And my father took one check in his life. And I think that was in the United States to get the family, get gas, to drive back to Newfoundland because things didn't work out there. Uh, living with no paycheck was not an easy thing. My, my my sister would collect, uh, you know, soda bottles on the side of the highway to to uh, get her uniform dry cleaned. Mm. And, uh, you know, w- we were poor. We were poor, poor, poor. And my mom, my father would paint pictures. I don't think I got any here. But he would paint pictures with the brush in his teeth. And, and you know, I'd say, uh, I can still remember mixing with toothpicks, little wooden mixing the paint for dad a little more yellow now a little more and he would paint with a brush in his teeth like that and go down town in front of Woolworth hmm. with the with the paintings down by his feet to try to sell them hmm. and I I think at times my sister would be embarrassed by the fact that we were that you know and and about the time the song came out, secondhand shoes, secondhand clothes, they all call me secondhand rose. My my sister had to deal with that. I was too young. I didn't yeah. realize. It. I grew up in in a storybook, living on a ranch, you know, where horses. Yeah. yeah. So we got back here, and uh, Dad was fortunate enough to win an award for his tenacity. Started a newspaper at a restaurant. He had. Uh, a uh, restaurant and had a small store and someone recognized it, gave him an award and our life, we moved in back to St. John's here. And Because uh, your dad was clearly a pillar in the community. His mm-hmm. quote-unquote disability didn't stop him 
at all. Like he accomplished more, I think, with your mom and in their situation than what a lot of people accomplish who would not be needing a wheelchair or those kinds of devices. And that's a phenomenal legacy to lead. What what did you take away from just reflecting on their lives and and how they just had so much tenacity? I go when I tell this story, which is my wife will tell you, it's daily. You know? <laughs> <laughs> when I tell this story, something new pops up. Mm. And I remember having to teach a class about resilience. And about love, like, you know, and I, and, and it came to my mind, my, my mom would pull over to rest stops going through the, the foothills of the Rockies on the way back, pull into a rest stop. And my father would have to use the washroom and get a man out and get him in the wa- You know, it's not feasible. So, uh, we had a, a car, the seats reclined quickly. She would recline them. She'd go back. There was a bag. She'd get the, uh, get the uh, bedpan. And my sister would be taking care of me and she, my mom would cover dad's middle section with a towel. I'd do his belt, roll him over, put his pants down, roll him back on the uh, bedpan and uh, leave him be for whatever time. And then he would say, Mrs. Come on back. Now I'm done. And she'd come back and reverse everything, uh, you know, with cleaning them up and things like that. And then buckling them up and getting them sitting up straight and commitment, you know, something goes wrong in a relationship. Well, we say goodbye. Mm. I see ya. I, I never saw that. Although at times when dad was first sick and in the hospital, she was told by well-meaning Christians, you should leave him there, get a divorce and find another man and start a life. Wow. I wouldn't have been here. You know, not that that's the big deal about it, but she was committed to him her whole life until he passed. Mm-hmm. And it was just phenomenal to see. And now my wife has some physical challenges and, and Holly, you, you, you're aware of some of them. They're not yeah. anything bad, but, uh, it's commitment to each other. You know, she said to deal with me and all my problems. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I think I, it, it's a verse. I know it's a verse found in uh, Philemon the six. It says that the sharing of your faith may be become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Jesus Christ. So I can sit here and dwell on the negative things. I never had a dad to do anything, take me haunting. I never had this, never had that. Um, my wife is sick and now I'm getting arthritis and blah, 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 blah. However, we need to focus on the positive things in Jesus Christ. Hmm. And we need to think about everything that we have been blessed by. And we need to make sure that we're a blessing. Whether I'm going through a checkout, uh, like I did last night and say to, are you, you finished still in school? I'm in grade 11. You know, oh, what do you, what are you thinking about taking? I'm thinking about coming and becoming a lawyer. Oh, well, that's a great thing to be doing, you know, and, and the career counseling comes in or, or wherever. Usually it might even just be a laugh. I might be, you know, when they're playing with a credit card or something like that and something comes up and I'll say, Oh, 
the person behind you will pay 50%. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just a laugh, you know, and they know it. They're, they're quick to catch on to that, but at least you leave them with a smile. No. Now, sometimes it's a longer conversation. And I, with with men in a mine or women in a mine and say, look, I, I got no use for the church. I'm not religious. And I said, good, neither am I. I'm not religious. Well, what do you mean? You're a pastor. You were a pastor. I said, yeah, but I'm not religious. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, religion is mankind reaching to God. Christianity, I'm a Christian, is God reaching to mankind. That's the big difference. Mm-hmm. And Men and, and mostly men have tried to pile a pile of rules and things together for people to follow, and we cannot do it. You can go back through time. We cannot do it. But what we can do is let Christ come in and live the life in us and through us that he wants to live. And we'll fall flat on our faces many times. And I would tell people, look, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less and there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. That's the bottom line. He loves you and wants yeah. to get to know you better and you to know him better. So, yeah, I won't take up collection right now, but if you do have some spiritual <laughs> use, please pass the offering around. But I'll throw it up in the air and whatever comes stays up as God's, whatever comes down is mine. Right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, I mean, your family obviously played such a huge instrumental uh, role in your life. You've been a pastor, counselor. You do a lot of different things. And so um, just for you and thinking about your own life, I'm, I'm curious just about that moment where the faith that you have now became your own faith and and when did you decide like this is going to be what i'm committing my life to yeah another great question i sound like a politician not the speaker of the house by the way Uh, (laughs) (laughs) even that one in (laughs) uh i remember growing up in a church and uh, I could tell you stories about the two orderlies my father met in the hospital. And when he heard he was in St. John's, they came down and pushed out about two kilometers and brought him to an evangelical church so he could meet with God on a personal basis. Uh, you know, anyway, I grew up in a church where fear was a big thing. You know, you go to bed at night, you go to sleep. Well, I'm, I, did I say my prayer? So, Maybe the Lord comes tonight. I, I won't be, won't be ready and all of this type of stuff, right? Grace didn't enter into it a little bit, you know, and not even a little bit, but, and then when I was a teenager, I, you know, I heard this sermon, uh, from another source and it was the grace of God and the love of God and, and how much God loved me. And it was, it was not, you couldn't measure it. You know, all, if all the ocean were ink and all, you know, to, to write it in the sky. It, it couldn't be done how much he loves me and Holly and, and Johnny and, and the hundreds of millions of people that are watching us at home. Hundreds know. of millions. <laughs> so all of those things, it, it's, it struck a chord and I don't have to be fearful of God. I have to have that faith and I have to be trying to be like him as much as I can, but I don't need to be fearful. 
I don't need to go to bed at night and wonder if the Lord is coming, if I'm going to be here, raptured or not. You know, I just love God hmm. and he loves me. And that's the bottom line. And, um, uh, so I was a young teenager and I've been perfect ever since. Ah. Uh, yeah, this nose red is from falling down and making a fool of myself and, and saying the wrong things. But you know something? I don't, I don't feel condemnation. Hmm. I feel I shouldn't have done it. I feel shamed at times and, and back up and apologize and, and, and mean it. But I know where I am in Christ and I know what we can do. And, uh, you might think this podcast, and I made a joke about hundreds of millions, but you know, if one person is touched today by this, my silliness, but my testimony and by why me, then it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And it's worth it. Whether I do a major picture, you know, like 90 minutes long or whether I do another five minute, uh, doc or whether I get to speak somewhere else is, and, and I will tell you, there are people that come up to me and my wife and say, remember the time when you prayed or remember the time when you did such and such. And, you know, sometimes you say, yeah, vaguely, but that made all the difference. I remember in church one time, just someone putting their hand on my shoulder hmm. made all the difference. You know, it's just the one little thing. And that's the why me. You are here for a reason. All that string of coincidences. And I could have brought in the number of egg and sperm and mathematically and all of that stuff, which is all cool. But all those, we would label them coincidences about my grandfather being an American, my dad being born American, all those things fell in place. And it was just perfect. It was just perfect for me. And I don't know when we're in me, but I will tell you that when I was a young, older teenager, a young man, I did not like myself. Okay. I actually would use the term hate because of my appearance. I'm not a small guy, you know, and uh, I, you know, and no one will ever love me. But someone did. Jesus first. But my wife, she took me as I am. She's been working 45 years trying to, no, no, it's not working. (laughs) (laughs) But she, she loved me and I just can't get over that, that someone would love me. Hmm. I have to see myself through her eyes and she has, and see hers, you know, back and forth. But God, as this image of us, and it's just fabulous. And, you know, I just met Johnny, and I just feel that, you know, the plan that God has for his life, and you're Holly, you know, you guys are doing a fabulous thing, an unbelievable great thing. And there's, you know, for me to say, oh, there's more in store for you. Well, there may be. But you know something, what you're doing now is very, very effective. Very effective. And get the message out there. You have a, an incredible five-minute documentary that will hopefully be a uh, a full-length film at yeah. some point. 
Yeah. Uh, so excited to hear about uh, your father. Excited to hear about you. Your book uh, almost finished three years now in in the making. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to uh, to hear the 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 full finished product in the future. But uh, Mr. Windsor, the Grand Pooba, my friend, thank you so very much for taking some time. Oh, you guys were awesome. Thanks for this opportunity. I think back to when we had an opportunity to talk with Carlos Herrera mm, about, yes. about his life and his father's legacy. And now we get to do it again with Mr. Windsor and hearing about his life and his father's legacy. Yeah, it's true. And what's beautiful is that he is also creating a legacy for his kids, for his grandkids. Yeah. It's um, it's cool to see how that happens. Yeah. And that's, and I think it's very important because of where we come from. And that's why, that's why we asked that question at the beginning, Holly, who are you? Where did you come from? Because we all start from somewhere to get to where we are right now. And so it's amazing to hear the backstories of people's lives. Yeah. And to have a why me moment that's like, why am I even here? Like I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be here. There was too many situations that the window of my existence could have passed. And yet here he is. No, it's amazing. Very, very cool. So uh, it's not very often that we get a Holly and Friends, but I'm glad that we got to do this for this episode. Yes, it was so wonderful. A big thank you again to Mike for spending time with us to share his story, the story of his dad. And you can check out all of our stories as we have quite a few for you on our YouTube channel, on the different podcast platforms, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and then, of course, we're at faithstrongtoday.com, so check it out. Yeah.